You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor at The Washington Post. We are less than 100 hours away until in-person voting starts in the 2022 midterm elections. So let's break it all down with The Washington Post's national political reporter, Annie Linsky. Annie, welcome back to First Look. Hi, it's great to be here. I hadn't realized it's just 100 hours away. 100 hours away. Um, still going to be forever. <laughs> so, Annie, you're coming to us from Madison, Wisconsin, where you've been covering a race that may decide who controls uh, the majority in the United States Senate. Uh, incumbent Republican Senator Ron Johnson uh, has a small but within the margin of error lead over Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. What issue you th are you hearing will be driving turnout on Tuesday? Yeah, you know, um, uh, uh, incumbent uh, Senator um, Ron Johnson has been on a um, bus tour of the state, uh, actually, as many of the candidates have been. Um, and I caught up with him um, in, over the last few days in far western Wisconsin. Um, you know, it, it, one of the things that really struck me about his stump speech and his sort of final argument in the in the very last days here and hours, as you point out, is race. I mean, he really talked a lot about race. Um, his opponent is black; would be the first um, black U.S. senator. Um, to represent Wisconsin, should he win? And, um, you know, Ron Johnson was talking a lot about um, Mandela Barnes's discussion of systemic racism and, and making and saying if, sort of suggesting that Mandela Barnes believes that these voters are racist and wondering if, if he thinks that about you, why would you vote for him? And it was a very, um, uh, it was sort of a very unusual final pitch for me to hear. I was really struck by it. Um, his stump speech at the end really talks quite a lot about um, three black men, um, a uh, two of them being um, Barack Obama, who was here in Wisconsin not a few a few days ago to stump for his uh, opponent, calling Barack Obama angry, and um, then referring to Mandela Barnes as. Um, different um, and potentially dangerous. And, you know, I was talking to some civil rights leaders here in um, Wisconsin who are just saying that this is sort of really what they characterize as one of the ugliest races campaigns they've ever seen. And that um, they were talking about how Ron Johnson in the final hours here is relying on racist tropes to characterize, you know, two very powerful black men who are um, in the state. And then his story, his speech goes, talks about a third black man who, um, my story will go into a little bit when it publishes it at, at the, on, the, on um, the Post website shortly. So I, um, I, I really think it's been a very, um, you, you know, somber final days here in Wisconsin at least. Annie, you've mm -hmm. been a national political reporter for a long time. Yeah. You've seen a lot on the campaign trail, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I am struck by how you are talking about Senator Johnson's rally. In all the years you've been covering politics around the country, had you ever seen or witnessed anything like that closing stump speech? I, I really, I really haven't. 
um, it it's, was um, su really surprising for me to hear. I, I think I, I generally, you generally have um, politicians in close races having a closing rate, a closing argument that makes a more affirmative case for themselves or when it is um, kind of going negative on the opponent, it's a um, contrast on policies and it, or perhaps a gaffe that the politician has made, you know, so that's sort of the area that I'm more I'm accustomed to, you know, I will say that the um, third block ban that Johnson talks about in this um, stump speech is one that he frames in a positive light. And this is um, somebody, you know, he tells an anecdote about a, you know, how he describes a hapless black man who was in a, driving a car, driving a truck and got into a jam. And the people of Wisconsin help him out and um, help him get his car or get his truck, excuse me, on, on its way. And then there's a sort of a feeling of unity and goodwill of all of the people in this white area of the state that helped this man out. And Johnson tells that anecdote and then he, the kicker of the anecdote is, and he was a black man. And so the sort of audience reaction was sort of like, oh, wow, you know, how great that this man was helped by um, by the people of Wisconsin. And, um, you know, of the three black men he talks about, this is the one who d does not have access to power, who is in a difficult spot. And, um, you know, in talking to civil rights leaders last yesterday and the day before about this, they said that to them, it, it very much felt like, you know, a, a anecdote intended to sort of absolve voters of any racism that, you know, similar to the trope of, oh, I have a black friend, so I'm not racist. Um, and that that the anecdote was about was in fact sort of showed the opposite that there is racism. Why why do you need to know this guy's race if you just helped him out when he was in a, a jam? So, and not to go on here, but it it it's been a really um, sort of surprising end to this campaign. And if I heard you right, um, we we will be able to read um, your your latest story. I'm sure that covers this uh, a little bit later. Um, in a little bit of time that we have left. We all know that there are closed Senate races in Pennsylvania, Georgia, N Nevada that you're watching. Is either side gaining momentum in any of those races as we close in on Election Day? Look, it's of course, it's very hard to say um, when you look around the map. Um, you know, you, Arizona, I think, you know, it seems like Republicans have some momentum there. Um, in Pennsylvania, there has been a sense that Republicans also have momentum, but that the gap might be just a little bit too large for um, uh, to be closed. Um, but, you know, when I talk to Republican national strategists, they are feeling very, very good. And the Democrats, uh, I was texting with one very a senior Democrat um, just last night, who was just sort of saying, like, we're just kind of holding our breath here. Um, you know, it, it's just really a difficult, difficult environment. You know, I think people are looking, Democrats are feeling a little bit better about some of their gubernatorial races. Um, but when you're looking at the Senate map um, in this kind of in these final moments, the momentum seems to be on the Republican side. And then, so you covered governorships, the Senate map, um, the House map. I mean, basically, given history and gerrymandering, um, you know, Republicans seem to be in pretty good shape to retake the majority of the House. Is that the mood uh, on the ground and among the folks you're talking to? 
Oh, yes. You know, I have to say in August, I um, wrote a story with Michael Shearer about how Democrats maybe, maybe, maybe could hold on to the House. Um, and I was talking to some of my Democratic sources who I talked to for that story. And I was saying like, oh, was was that was that right? And they're like, look, of course, of course, it was right at the time. But uh, in this moment, no, it's not right. <laughs> I mean, there's a, you know, the, the very top Democrats are, are talking about how many seats they're, you know, how far out of the majority they're going to be rather than any sort of sense of actually holding on to it. Are they are they hopeful that they won't be that far out of the majority, say, the size majority that Speaker Pelosi has now is like five seats, or are they looking at what would be considered a blowout of anything that's north of 10 seats? Well, I, I, yeah, I think they're looking at north of, of 10 seats. And that is where the conversation is right now, is how far north of 10 seats is, is it going to be? I mean, one of the things that's striking is um, they're going to lose a lot of seats in blue districts, in Biden plus seven, Biden plus 12, even Biden plus 15 districts. Um, and so this is sort of the spin now, and it tells you how badly they're doing, is, is they're talking about, look, look for 2024 when we'll be able to take a lot of these seats back. Right. 2024. <laughs> Always look ahead. <laughs> look, <laughs> look to the future. Annie Linsky okay. coming to us from Madison, Wisconsin, uh, Washington Post national political reporter. Thank you, as always, for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. Stay safe out there. Thanks so much. You too. I'm going to keep the conversation going with the Opinions Roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find my Washington Post columnists, colleague, <laughs> colleagues, Eugene Robinson and Hugh Hewitt. Eugene, Hugh, welcome back to First Look. Thank you, John. Thanks, Jonathan. Good to be here. Well, let's keep talking about, about the midterms. Eugene, you had a recent column with the headline, the midterms aren't a toss-up, they're a mystery. What don't we know? Well, no, I, I've thought all along this is a, a an, an unpredictable election. These uh, So many of these races have been within the margin of error of polls uh, for a long time. And uh, I... I actually still think this is uh, this is that nothing is written uh, is graven in stone about what happens on Tuesday because today is Friday. Uh, you know, Tuesday is four days away, and so every midterm election always depends on who actually comes out and votes. There are some early voting numbers, uh, especially in some states, that are extremely favorable for Democrats. Um, of course, we kind of expect that. Um, there are some signs uh, in in a lot of states that that Republicans are taking as very favorable signs. But again, you've got to get your people to the polls on. Tuesday, and uh, the party that does that more effectively um, will, you know, will, will reap the benefits. So, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Hugh, what do you make of Eugene's argument? First of all, I, I, good morning, both of you. Eugene has the best backdrop in television, so I just hate being on with him. <laughs> but uh, as to the election, I've been there and I am sympathetic to Democrats. I remember trying to do three hours of broadcasting in 2006 and 2008, looking for any straw to grab onto, because <laughs> uh, we're going to get tough. 
And, uh, you know, oh, I found one poll over here about a congressional race that might not go by 10 points for the Democrat. It's horrible to have a wave coming at you. But uh, this is where I sit. Sort of like Eugene and I talking about football. Eugene wants to talk about Michigan last year. I want to talk about the last 20 years. And Ohio State's won 18 out of 20 of those games, but Gene wants to talk about last year. Democrats are going to get thumped. And my over-under is 25 in the House and uh, plus one in the Senate for Republicans. I may have to adjust that up because there isn't a single incumbent who's in danger. I, some Democrats say Oz is in danger of losing the Toomey seat. I don't believe it. There are two new polls this morning. One has Dr. Oz up two, and Merritt has John Feynman up by six. Something's wrong with the polls. All I know is what people tell me on the inside, and everybody's putting the champagne on ice. Um, I'm writing this down. Hugh Hewitt's prediction, 25 seats in the House, um, one in the Senate for Republicans. Uh, we'll be talking the next time I see you, Hugh, <laughs> on that prediction. Um, this, this is a question for both of you, because I would love to get um, both of you to comment on our other colleague, George Will, in the column he had um, and it was blistering this week um, where he said that not only should President Biden not run for re-election in 2024, but so should Vice President Harris. Is there, Gene, I'll start with you. Is there any groundswell among Democrats to not only ditch the incumbent president, but also um, the sitting vice president, the woman in the first woman to be a heartbeat away from the presidency? Uh, no, there's no groundswell. Um, uh, number one, there's no sense that um, of, of who, whom the alternatives would be, who they would be. Um, number two, um, if, in, in, if indeed former President Trump uh, does run again, um, I, I think the instinct among Democrats will be um, to uh, if, if the guy who beat him or beat him once is going to run again, then that's probably the guy to beat him again. You know, that said, I mean, George's column, um, uh, you know, was certainly provocative. And, and, and he used as as his sort of evidence or his reason um, quotes that he had um, from uh, speeches or or. or, or talks by uh, both Biden and Harris. Um, uh, you know, Biden um, has Biden rhetorically uh, lost a, a step since his, uh, you know, in the last 30 or 40 or 50 years uh, that he's been in politics. I think that's that. Yes, he yes, he has. Um, if you heard him on the campaign trail um, uh, yesterday out in New Mexico, uh, he was sharp. He went, he went off, off script and 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 didn't wander in any, any sort of wilderness. Um, so I think that was a bit uh, overstated. With Harris, it's sort of interesting. Um, uh, Will George's point was that that she speaks uh, in in word salad, and uh, you know George, who's George Will to make that point? George Will speaks in perfectly formed sentences and paragraphs and always will <laughs> speak that way. He's, 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 the, he's the exception that proves the rule. Uh, any of us <laughs> are guilty of word salad at some point, but I was at a reception recently with um, uh, where uh, Vice President Harris spoke. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because she really connected with the people there. There were both Republicans and Democrats there. 
who after her brief remarks off the cuff, were all saying, oh, gee, that was lovely. What, what a nice welcome. What a nice way, you know, what, 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 how nice her remarks had been. I realized that if you had written them down um, and, and looked at them, um, they would kind of look like word salad, yet she communicated. She, we, we, everyone understood, not just understood what she was saying, but in fact, uh, appreciated and then thought she had made some really interesting points and really, um, really liked it. So, you know, that is ultimately on her. Um, she, she does, uh, you know, and, and, and there are some verbal tics that she has that she probably ought to get rid of. But, um, but I, I, I think people really underestimate her. Um, mm-hmm. uh, for the job that she's doing, um, and also that ability um, to speak, which you know is, is is different when 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 written down and looked at, you know, three days later, as opposed to when it's heard in the moment. Yeah, and I, I agree with your assessment of the president. I interviewed him two weeks ago today, and he was superb. And Vice President Harris, like you, Gene, I've been in in events, both public and private with her, where she is she is flawless and she communicates very well with folks in the room. However, as I look at Hugh, as I was looking at Hugh at the beginning of your, your response, Gene, I, he's just like champing at the bit to jump through and say, <laughs> we're both wrong. So Hugh, here's your moment. You're not both wrong. Uh, if you guys will remember when we did the post-pundit competition, I always said Kamala Harris was going to be the nominee. And I, I always said she was going to be on the ticket after she went through. She had a poorly run campaign and they ran out of money. Uh, I was in California during her rise and her ascent. She is a superb politician who's in vice president prison. And anyone who has ever been near a vice president yeah. in prison, they can't say anything. So when you get asked, <laughs> she can't say, no, the border isn't secure. We really screwed that up. She's got to say the border is secure. So when you're in vice president prison, it doesn't count. But when Gene has to say, the president didn't wander off into the wilderness, so he had a good day. That is an indi- indication of, of just kind of the, <laughs> the stomach-clenching roller coaster that Democrats are on when you let the president near a microphone. And... I don't think, I don't remember Johnson stepping down in 68. Uh, I'm too young for that, but it's been over 50 years since an incumbent president eligible for re-election didn't run. I can't imagine Joe Biden not running, but I do think Gavin Newsom will challenge him, even if he does. And if he drops out, I think we're going to have Harris Newsom, and it's going to be wild because they're both deep blue state Democrats. But, but Vice President Harris is very, very skilled, but she just caught in vice president prison. Um, let's talk about the um, the breaking news from this this morning, and that is the jobs numbers and the unemployment rate. Jobs numbers, according to the experts, solid, 261,000 jobs created in October. The unemployment rate ticked up from 3.5% to 3.7%. Hugh? You're, you're bailing they, I mean, up. The economy, the economy seems to be doing great. It's already sunk. It's baked in. Half the country has voted already. They don't care. They're voting on inflation, education, and crime. The, the, the cake is baked. What did the Post headline say about 10 minutes ago? Democrats fear, uh, where is it? Like winter is coming. Maybe I said that. Yeah, they're just, I mean, that's, they're just word cycle, that's a headline. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying, Gene? No, the uh, word, I think, in the headline he was talking about was Democrats fear drubbing or something, something like that. that. <laughs> 
being right. Just to just to correct the record. <laughs> right. And I mean, the Democrats are always fearing a drubbing until the drubbing exactly. doesn't happen. But the drubbing usually happens. Um, but Gene, so Hugh says that, you know, doesn't matter what those numbers are and the unemployment rate is now because it's all about in, in inflation and it's all baked in. You agree? Well, I think I think Hugh is right that today's number isn't going to make a huge difference in, in what <laughs> happens on Tuesday. Uh, so no, that the people aren't going to going to wake up and and you know listen they're, they're not listening to CNBC and saying oh well but you know three point seven um, uh, gee okay I'll go this way or I'll, I'll go that way. No, I think people what people think and feel about the economy um, probably is baked in at this mm -hmm. point, and we'll see how much of a factor that is in how they vote. I'm curious as to what people uh, who are going to vote against Democrats on that basis uh, expect Republicans to do, since Republicans haven't right. explained what they intend to do about inflation or about, uh, about the economy, uh, really, at all, except to complain about it. And well, on the front page of the New York Times yesterday, uh, or a couple, a few days ago, um, saying that Republicans are looking to take a sledgehammer to Social Security. Real quick, one more question here on the economy. Uh, what happened yesterday, the Federal Reserve once again raised interest rates three quarters of a percentage point. Hugh, is Fed Chairman Jerome Powell going too far in fighting inflation? Absolutely not. He's got to go full Volcker. And uh, our first house, Gene will remember this, we bought and the interest rate was 12.5% because yep. that's what we have to do to kill inflation. So he's absolutely yep. doing the right thing. It's painful as hell, but it's got to be done. Well, and it's, but, but, but it's, it's working. It's working. And, and, um, and I suspect actually that uptick in uh, the unemployment rate is actually, uh, um, will be taken by the Fed as a good sign. I think they want to see that rate. Uh, that I want the. I think they want the first number to be a four. And and when when it's hmm. four point one or whatever, um, I, I think at that point they do slow down uh, uh, because this is this is a weird. Uh, if if this is a recession coming, it's a weird recession with this much employment and but they, you know. Frame. They can't come out and say this, but they want to see some layoffs. They want to see a bit more unemployment before they um, uh, loosen the taps again. Oh, see some layoffs. We might be seeing some uh, over at Twitter later today. But that's a whole other con that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> In the little bit of time that we have left, I want to talk about um, Paul Pelosi, the husband of, of Speaker uh, of the House, Nancy Pelosi, was severely beaten in an attack in their home. She was not there. The speaker was not there. That was, that was a week ago. We have seen some horrendous responses from some on the right. Gene, is this the new normal? I sure hope not. Uh, I mean, it, it, how hard can it be to say this is a terrible thing that happened. It shouldn't shouldn't have happened, and and um, and and whoever did this doesn't represent me or my views. That um, that is exactly what Democrats did uh, when Republican Steve Scalise was shot and almost killed by a Bernie Sanders supporter. Bernie Sanders came out with an immediate statement um, uh, to 
to, to that effect. Nancy Pelosi was almost in tears, um, uh, uh, said, I believe on the House floor, that yep. um, uh, we are we're all one family. Um, we're, you know, this isn't a matter of Democrats or Republicans. Um, the, the fact that more Republicans haven't been able to come out, that hardly any have been able to come out uh, and say that about this attack on Paul Pelosi, and that some disgustingly have joked about it, uh, is is just just um, it's disgusting. It's just disgusting. Hugh, I mean, what do you make of those who are making light of let's let's be real here, attempted murder? Oh, look. Uh, I, I said immediately, all political violence is awful. All of it is evil. And every single elected official, R&D, lives in this environment. And every single public person actually lives in this environment. Mm -hmm. And so I want to see everyone prosecuted who does anything like that. It, it's a psychosis issue, uh, like it was a psychosis issue with the person who showed up outside of Brett Kavanaugh's house with a gun and, and et cetera. Every time it happens, everyone's got to say, we have got to protect our elected officials and all political violence is bad because I actually remember 68 very well and the assassination of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy and it can grow out of hand and it has to be condemned and for those who didn't I suggest they change their ways on both sides when it comes to it but there is a lot of unhinged stuff and speaking about Twitter I would love for Elon Musk to Institute a policy that if you ever endorse political violence, not only are you banned, you're banned for life forever. I could get with that. Um, it, we, we've got like 90 seconds, um, and I hadn't planned on talking about this. I was just sort of doing a little aside on the layoffs. But you know, we're we're the three of us are are, are folks who, you know, we we're on Twitter, we're blue check blue check verified. You gonna pay eight? You're gonna pay eight dollars? for that blue check do you have any plans to leave the platform let me go for no i will pay it, but i want something in return i want anonymity done away with i think anonymity is the root of all online evil and if elon delivers a product that will give for eight dollars a month only people who have got their name and address on file with a credit card i'll pay that because i hate huh. the anonymous trolls and bots that's um, go ahead i'm pretty Please. close I'm pretty close to to Hugh on that. I want to make sure, number one, that if you pay, that people who are paying that um, eight bucks or whatever are in fact the people they say they are, um, and and that that's that has actually been verified in in some way because I worry that if it's just you know anybody who pays eight bucks can claim their you know whoever I could claim I'm, I'm the RNC. Uh, um, you know, that, then that, that's that's uh, a, a giant step backward from from where Twitter is now, which is, you know, it's not as if Twitter is like this, this you know, Elysian field right now. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty, it's, right. It, it could be, it could be pretty, uh, pretty swampy. Yeah, it's a rough uh, you say swampy. I say it's a rough neighborhood. But I do like the fact that we're ending first look today. All in agreement. This is kind of this is kind of <laughs> cool, but it's never going to happen again. You just no, Robinson, no, 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 no. <laughs> we're out of time. Especially as we get as, as as we get closer to the game. 
uh, okay. <laughs> this year, which is going to decide, it looks like, who, you know, who, who's going to win the, not just who's going to win the Big Ten, but who's going to be in the college football playoff. Will it be Michigan or Ohio I State? I so, Gene. I okay. Tell us the Buckeyes are going to win. But go, thank you, Jonathan. Good okay, show. Listen, <laughs> I, I'm sitting here thinking Gene is talking about the big game election day. No, he really is, in ta- is talking about sports. Again, we really got to go. Hewitt. Enough. Enough. <laughs> Thanks for watching Sports Center. Hugh <laughs> Hewitt and Eugene Robinson. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with First Look, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.